Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and AutoTempest.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, Brian Robinson. Hello and welcome to Motor Week Podcast 176. Sorry to report, uh, John Davis is not here. Uh, he is off the grid, very far away from us at the moment. And, is he like uh, witness protection or something now? I can't confirm or deny that. So you definitely have the B team here today. Uh, B plus. We'll call B it B plus. plus. All right, well, yeah, we'll Zach's see. here. We'll see. Thank you, Joe. Uh, we have online content coordinator Greg Carlos. Hello. Uh, what do we got here? Over the Edge, Wheelman, Zach Mascal. Peace be with you all. And video producer, editor, all-around good guy, Joe Ligo. B-team. All right. So <laughs> we will have the usual uh, lighting round and questions, etc. But as we usually do, we'll jump right into some cars that we've driven recently. Greg, you just got back from your uh, monthly European Porsche trip. <laughs> um, this time driving the 9... 18 spider sweet yeah it's not a not a bad uh, gig there uh yeah just got back not too long ago and um they uh, invited us out basically to see where they're at with their ev technology or their plug-in hybrid technology they call it e-hybrid um so they had the 918 spider out there which if you haven't heard of before is their latest supercar or Actually, I caught some crap for calling it a supercar, so I got to refer to it as a hypercar now. Who threw the crap at you that you caught? If you, uh, we'll just say it's a random YouTube commenter uh, because it is a random internet? YouTube commenter. Yeah, let's just call it the internet. Um, I use supercar because I just consider That's that a blanket term. Yeah, really. I don't know why everybody. I've never so used I guess, it, I guess he's it. not wrong though, because no. it really is super than hyper. Well, we did have we had an argument on the podcast about this, and he's technically not wrong but i wasn't trying to get too specific i mean i'm driving a, a hypercar around a racetrack trying to talk to a camera it and doesn't I refer matter. to it as a supercar it's the same thing so yeah uh really really fast it's um it was their uh, plug-in hybrid supercar which came out at the time of the mclaren p1 and the uh, la ferrari we had driven it on the street um a few years back so this is our first time on the track and it was pretty incredible we didn't get a ton of laps i got maybe five to myself and then i got to drive with one of their um team drivers which was just incredible made me feel terrible about myself and my driving skills but uh really incredible car um basically so you've gone now from an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar hypercar to now they've got it in a uh the other car that was there was a panamera turbo s e-hybrid sport turismo that's its full name uh zach also i think you drove it right i did definitely the longest name in automotive history as well yeah so basically now the they're just showing off that the technology is working its way into other porsche models and now the is it the same engine and no it's a different engine yeah the um, 918 right 918 used a 4.6 liter naturally aspirated v8 that's why you got the high revs panamera uses a four liter twin turbo which everybody is going to now um still plug-in hybrid the panamera has 680 combined horsepower uh the 918 has almost 900 so obviously some performance difference there but when you talk about in just a few years we're now getting 
really, we can call the Panamera, I think, probably a supercar, or at least a, approaching supercar levels with its numbers. 680 horsepower, mid threes to 60, uh, zero to 60 times. Um, carbon ceramic brakes, $188,000 for this specific one. So the price is still up there. Um, but it is coming down, and I think it's more or less just exciting that so not only are you getting efficiency numbers out of these cars, you can get uh, in, in the 918, I think it's like 20 miles of all-electric range, and the, um, the Panamera is close to 30 or something like that. Uh, but you're also getting just insane track performance out of it. So it's cool that Porsche and other automakers are really like pushing the technology because that's what you need. You need manufacturers to really push the technology as far as they can go. Granted, it's expensive now, but it's going to get cheaper, and uh, that's exciting. Yeah, they got to bring their economy numbers up. And to be able to do it while keeping and even improving the performance is pretty impressive. Right, because you yeah. gotta you got to grab the people like us, the enthusiasts, who maybe some are hesitant to move to electrification. So they got to have – and Porsche is a performance brand, so you got to be able to pack the performance in there as well as the, infici- uh, the efficiency. A little tandem coffee drinking going on up here. It's kind of funny to hear that Panamera and supercar – yeah, but yeah, I mean, well, you'll get crap for that because it's a four door. But it, it's it is. I mean, uh, what other four door can do with that car? It does I, what Greg was saying though? I don't disagree with. I mean, it is pretty wild that these cars that you never really thought that that was going to be a thing are quickly starting to be a thing. I mean, and that just proves what the hybrid power can do. So it's pretty interesting. But like what you said with the price. Uh, wise, I'm going to drive these all electric dirt bikes next next week in um, San Francisco, Alta, and um, you know a lot of people have commented to me, you know they're fourteen thousand dollars, yada yada, they're too expensive. I'm pretty sure the prices are slowly dropping on them, so soon they're going to be equally as comparable to the internal combustion ones. And yeah, if they can hang out that long, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> all right, so moving on. We got a uh, Subaru and a bunch of letters here, so uh, I'm not really sure what's up with all that. What we got you- the Subaru BRZ TS that is tuned by STI. Um, very fun car. They're only making 500 of these. They're only making 500 of the STI RAs, which stands for record attempt. Did they officially drop the WRX out of that? Is it just because I've seen it both ways? I don't know. Are they getting rid of Subaru? Is it- Subaru, this is a stupid question, I guess. Subaru STIRA or is it Subaru WRX STIRA? I still think it's WRX STIRA because that's just what the, the STI is, yeah. right? So, but I think, yeah, I think maybe they did drop the name out of it. Um, but I know one thing's for sure. It seems to me like they're definitely trying to make sure that the BRZ doesn't catch up, um, you know, with the WRX STI, which is why I'm thinking we still don't have more power. Oh, I mean, I know. we're dying for more power. Everybody's dying for more power. But the car is fun. I'm talking about the the BRZ. The BRZ now is that? Do they have? I know that what you're about to explain is they have a balance already, but. Is that their only answer to why there's no more power? Because I have to imagine everybody why, because at that press conference so was wondering. Yeah. Everybody said the same thing there. Yeah, on the press event, everybody wants more power. Why do we not have more power? But it's the same thing with the STI. I mean, it gained five horsepower via an exhaust and an intake. 
And uh, another bragging point of the RA is that, uh, you know, the pistons are now stronger, so you can really beat on the car at the track and whatnot, which makes me feel good, I guess. But, I mean, you're still paying $50,000, I think it is, for this car. I mean, no, man. The thing's just getting tired. I mean, you know, the car's cool, but it still feels to me like an STI. It's just... For me, I don't really enjoy it in a straight line or on the track. You know, you're coming into the turn, you turn in, and you're just kind of like, eh, eh, whatever. And then, I don't know, the grip's there. It's a, it's a ball of fun, but I was expecting a little bit more out of this one, especially with this price tag. I know what you mean. It's exciting coming off of corners in an STI or even a WRX, but going into them in, like, mid-corner is always just... Exactly ah. that. Yeah, it's just numb, and it just feels like... Ah, I need more. And then, you know, they threw me in the BRZ, and I'm just like, man, this thing is so well-balanced. It's just a load of fun. I think it's funny because, like, the biggest thing that they did with this BRZ was they put good tires on it. They put uh, Michelin Pilot Sport 4s. Yes, and they were absolutely necessary for this car because I have a certain road around here that I take everything we drive on, and I feel the grip levels and whatnot. Before, it was just so tail-happy. And now, if you want to keep it, you know, balanced all throughout, you – you really can, and you just have so much more like uh, faith in the car with these tires on it. Other than that, they got Brembo brakes, sock stampers, stiffer springs. The chassis's tighter all around. But So the car is even better than it was before. I've always liked that car, but we need more power. Well, I think the reason we'll not get more power is because that is the, the co-developed with Toyota, and I don't think they can put out a version any more powerful than what Toyota has. So, Makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I definitely will ever see more power in that vehicle. But I will once again say I still think that this is the next uh, 240SX as far as drifting goes and people doing engine swaps and whatnot just because it's such a good setup chassis and it'll be it'll be a very cheap car in the future. I definitely think that that's the next one. But back to the WRX or STI or whichever it is, uh, you were kind of hating on that, and that was I was kind of thinking, is it still like legit now with the Focus RS out there and the Golf R and cars it gets, that it gets tougher and tougher each time. It really does, and each time I get behind the wheel of a WRX or an STI, I really try to like it because I like the fact that these cars want to be driven fast on the street. They want to be dri- driven fast on the track. The gears are set up for it the throttle set up for it this car still has that pretty wild turbo lag um so i mean just daily driving the thing just kind of gets on my nerves um and just the way that it handles on the track i don't have that much fun in it um 50 grand's a lot of money for this thing if you're a subi kid you know it's, it's got a carbon fiber wing now so you're gonna love that Ooh. i believe they're both adjustable on both cars so pretty sick there but uh yeah we had a wrx down a roadway on track and I mean, it was fun, but, you know, after a couple laps, you're just... You're done. Yeah, you got it dialed in, and there's like, what more can I do with this car right Mm -hmm. now? Unless you're finding a gravel road somewhere, and you can get into some rally stuff. That would definitely be a blast. I think that car is, you know, originally designed for, and may still be its best performance avenue. I mean, I I will give it to it, though, on the track. You know, coming around a turn, the all-wheel drive, you know, it's got got tons of grip, and, I mean, you really just kind of... You don't really have to pick a line with it. Like, even if you mess up midway through, you can just kind of correct. I mean, yeah, you might lose speed or whatever, but you're not going to, like, start freaking out or anything like that. The car is definitely pretty solid as far as that goes. But just overall, it just doesn't really deliver that experience that I'd be looking for when I'm spending that much money. True story. 
Anything, Joe? I just I agree with him that it's. I agree the design for the, especially on the SDI is just a little old. Like, yeah. the, or at least the engine. I know like bodywork and stuff has been one hundred percent the engine. But yeah. the engine, man, that thing is ancient. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's the same. And it's the numbers game for me. It's just like man, and we didn't get any more much? power out of this one either. I right. mean, yeah, charging we got suspension th- upgrades, brakes, all that. But I mean, something's got to give with that car. Soon. Yeah, and the WRX we had the road we had the new performance package, which is really just Recaro seats and new brake pads. Subaru's making too that. much money selling outbacks. <laughs> and deletion of the sunroof. That was that's what makes up the performance. Yeah, I think they so. took out the spare tire in the it was either the RA or the TS. I'm not sure which one. So basically they took one out of Porsche's, I guess, suggestion box, charge money for less. But they're gonna sell out. So. Well, it's only 500 cars, yeah, so they're pretty special editions. a lot of editions. cars anyway now. Subaru has really been doing pretty well. So, uh, s- s- all right, we better move on before we hate <laughs> on Subaru uh, too much more. To the Bentley Continental Supersports, uh, we were yes. talking about the Panamera earlier. Uh, I think the Supersports actually has the uh, claim to fame of being the fastest four-seat luxury car. Is that right? So yeah, I don't know if that Panamera will will top that or not. But what's the top speed on that Panamera? Ooh. Two. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all my numbers mixed up. I was gonna say two seventeen, but I'm really? thinking that, that would probably another. it. Yeah. Anyway, the Continental Supersports came out last year, so it's probably has been passed by the Panamera. But uh, we also had that at Roebling. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one, Greg? Um, I think I was the first one to take it out at Roebling, and that was after coming out of, I think I was I had driven to that point, like maybe the ZL1 and another car that was really locked down. And then I get into this one expecting it to be heavy, and then I was <laughs> still shocked at how heavy it was to take that thing around the track. <laughs> I mean, it was, it is was large. so much weight behind this car, but it is crazy fast. And another thing that I really liked about it is that as much as I love column, I think, are they column mounted they paddles? They were column mounted. As yeah. much as I loved those column mounted paddle shifters on any other car, these were kind of awkward to me. I don't know yeah, if you Well, felt they're that weird because they came out straight from the center of the console and then just went up. There was like no bottom part. So you had to have your hands like way Exactly. Up so that was a bit of a problem. But luckily, the uh, transmission was really good, I thought. And, and it doesn't setting. have an E shifter like Bentley's other cars. Right, it has yeah. an actual gear shift it's that about goes in action. To go like from park to drive or to sport, um, at least to know when you're there. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I thought the transmission was actually a really, really good uh, spot on this vehicle. And that thing launches like a beast. We did some slow mo video of the zero to sixty times, and oh my goodness, when you see that thing in slow motion, just like hunker down and then catapult it. Oh yeah. my! But and then zero to sixty times are incredible estimated too. Time too. Zero to six. I can't remember. It was low threes. Right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we beat their estimated time. That thing just launches like a monster, and it's even cooler in slow motion. It's got the standard all-wheel drive and the ancient W12 uh, <laughs> engine, which they've now got up to over 700 horsepower. So, uh, yeah. And it's the same chassis as the Panamera. I don't know if that's the newer Panamera chassis or if that one's still – imagine the Bentley's still on the old – Panamera chassis. Uh, yeah. But. It was also, I mean, we're not, we're already to a point now where there's a new Continental out. Correct. Right? So yeah. this is the older version right. anyway. It's the same one Bentley's been selling since like 2007. 
the same basic design? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, there was a second gen. Technically, this is the second gen one, but it wasn't. It was mainly just new body. It wasn't like a full new chassis and all that. Um, $322,000. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so, it's a lot of cash. So for, you can buy I, I, two Panameras for that? I will say, yeah. one thing that kind of turned me off is when you open the door, there's a little door sill that says like one of... I don't know, is it like 100-some made? No, or 700. It's like some one of 700 cars. I'm like, it just seemed a little tacky. Yeah, but <laughs> people love that. When they spend all the money guess. on a car, they See, I'm thinking that. when you spend that much money, you don't want to be like that ostentatious. Well, I mean, I guess that. it's a Bentley. So. <laughs> they got that in the uh, Civic Type R, and right. then they had that, I think, in the BRZ TS. What, one of five hundred or one of the, you know. one of the but, jo- but Joe's it. talking like this thing is like right in your face when you open oh, up it's the that door big. to you. Yeah, it's, it's like what did somebody design this in Microsoft Word art? <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, I have a really good idea. You have to do that with a British accent because I'm sure they didn't say it like that. Well, it might have been German guy then. <laughs> Could have been either yeah. way. Yeah, either no, way. the uh, but the interior was pretty immaculate as they usually are on Bentley. Yeah. So you at least when you're. Fearing for your life, trying to get around a track as fast as possible. You're comfortable. You, you feel comfortable. And for all that weight, the brakes were incredible, too. They're like, like 16-inch brake rotors. Massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah back, back to the interior, I did notice at Roebling, you're constantly getting in one car out of the other, and everybody's a different height, and you're constantly readjusting seats. That was the one car I got in and like didn't immediately feel the need to move the seat in because kind of no matter where it is, it's still comfortable. Whereas some of the, the other cars being more performance-oriented, like – it kind of takes 15 minutes to find your sweet spot, yeah. but uh, that thing was very comfy inside. Amazing performance. Still, still feels better uh, on the road than on the track. True but, story. Yeah. But it can do it. It can. That it can. It can. <laughs> All right, moving on uh, to our lightning round. Um, all right, we're doing the each person 30 seconds, uh, looks like. So, uh... <laughs> Don't sound enthused about that. Oh, sorry. I'm just making sure I get it right. That's all. I'm just reading, reading what Joe's got here for me. Thanks, yep. Joe. You got it. Blame right. it on me. A German court just ruled that cities can decide to ban vehicles with diesel engines. Also, Fiat Chrysler just announced a plan to stop building diesel passenger cars by 2022. In light of this news, on top of earlier emissions fraud by VW and other automakers, what is the future of diesel engines, both in the U.S. and beyond? They're dead. Just sell your car now. <laughs> really? Right now. Get rid of it. You're under your – you used about your three of your 30 seconds, seconds right. there. All right, Joe, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> uh, my thought on the matter is – in some ways, I'd say they're dead, but at the same time, Chevy just announced a diesel Equinox. Ford just announced a diesel version of the Transit Connect. I mean, maybe they kind of, like, missed the, the uh, news. But, but, but at the same time, I, I would say diesel passenger cars probably in the U.S. are dead, but I, you're going to have to pry diesel pickup trucks out of people's cold, dead hands. So I think there's a bit of a divide there in terms of I think the diesel's death has been overstated in some ways. All right, you're on, Greg. Yeah, there. Uh, well, Fiat's not getting FCA is not getting rid of them in their Ram trucks or anything like no. that. It's just passenger cars. So, yeah, I think honestly the writing is on the wall for passenger cars, and definitely in the U.S. and even in Europe, where the diesel sales are declining pretty much everywhere but Italy, where they haven't really made any rules yet. Um, yeah, just in America, they haven't gotten over the stigma of being dirty. 
engines and Volkswagen didn't help with that. And I just think after that, they were kind of fighting a losing battle. So yeah, trucks will stay cars. I don't see it having a future here. Yeah, I would say I would agree with that. Definitely commercial use will still be heavy diesel. But, I mean, it's no different than the regular gasoline engine. I mean, its days are numbered as well. I mean, we keep getting electrical uh, EV cars uh, better and better, and eventually they're going to take over. So It doesn't help that diesel prices are still more than regular right, gasoline. Right, I was going to say it's a hard economic argument, too, on the, the diesel front. All right. extra, that was so. a good one. That was a good question, Joe. Thank you very much. And I wanted to I wanted to ask bonus you guys if any, Joe. Well, no, right. I had a question for anybody else. Does anybody know if trucks have to meet pickup trucks have to meet different standards than cars for emission stuff? Yeah, I don't think they have any standards at all. Okay, because I was curious about that. Like, why it's such a big deal for cars, but then like there seemed to be some hypocrisy. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, VW is so bad." Now let me go get my F three fifty. Well, they don't do emissions testing on no diesels. over a certain gro- uh, gross vehicle weight. You know, it's a commercial vehicle, and they're not required. There may, they may have some other that I'm not aware of. But by hmm. the way, don't sell your diesel right now. It's just being sell them to me. Yeah, yeah, I, sell them to me and Brian. Yeah, we'll flip them or we, something. We love VW diesel. Yeah, I miss the diesel. We have a two yeah. liter. Um, Q5 outside right now that I was missing that diesel in because yeah. I felt like the two liter was a little laggy. All right, moving on to our that diesel was question. nice in that Q5. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm. Mm. You guys, need, you guys <laughs> need a minute? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> RIP. So, uh, Arnie has been a MotorWeek fan for a long time, and we always refer to oversteer and understeer, uh, but he has never seen an explanation as to what those are. What are the effects? What does it feel like? And how do you recognize over and understeer? It seems that lots of folks throw these terms around, but I'm not sure that they know either. I certainly don't. All right, Arnie. Well, let's see if we can get an That's answer for it. a good question because I think there's a lot of people who feel that way because yeah. everybody does use those terms in the industry. I've got a good analogy for the oh, understeer. Right. Okay. I know Zach's probably dying to get yeah, really. oversteer. I figured he would have so, jumped in uh, as soon as I started reading. Yeah, understeer um, is basically having to do with your your front wheel. So you're trying to steer, um, and imagine you're on like a big wheel, and you crank wheel you crank hard on the big wheel, and you're pedaling really hard at the same time. Well, the problem is on that plastic wheel, you're just going to skid right through. You're not actually turning. You're still going straight, even though your wheel is cranked. So essentially, you lose grip of the front wheels and Instead of turning in the direction that you want to go, you start going off in a different direction. That would be understeer. Correct. And what, what is the proper procedure then to come out of understeer? You would take away some of your th- uh, steering input, and then you would stop. If you're accelerating hard, you don't want to accelerate hard anymore um, because you want to transfer some weight to get grip back to your front wheels. And even if you're skilled enough, um, you can maybe even tap the brakes just a little bit to get some more grip back in there. Right. And one thing you don't want to do is keep cranking on the wheel because that yeah, it's counterintuitive because right. you, you want to turn more, but actually you have to take some input out of the wheel. Correct. Like if, you, if you're asking it to do and it can't do it, don't ask more out of it. Like if you can't lift this, don't throw more weight on it and then try to lift it. You have to take a little weight out. Exactly. So for uh, understeer, uh, any comments on that, Zachary? I'm understeer sorry, oversteer. Still or oversteer. Greg, that was a good analogy, I'd have to say. I worked hard on that one. It hit me. <laughs> I had to wake up in the middle of the night and write it down. Yeah, I mean, pretty much with the understeer, man, it's just you want to turn, 
But the car's not doing it. The car just wants to keep plowing forward towards the tree as opposed to you following the road away. So one of the things that I learned in uh, Porsche school a few weeks ago was if something's not working, do something different. So uh, pretty much what you guys said, weight transfer, get some weight on the front there, get some traction and move along. With the oversteer, it's when you turn too much. So you want to do that turn. The car's like, heck yeah, we're turning. But then it just keeps turning when you've already you know you want to go that way now and the car just keeps turning 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 so then you add some counter steer and it's still turning then you might oversteer and pretty much loop out um fully but counter steer for those who don't know what counter steer is. yeah so uh all right so we're coming around a turn and we want to go this way and i'm pointed that way the car does it easily but then the car keeps going this way when i want to go that way so what you're going to do is add just a little bit of counter steer to put the car back in the direction you want to go even when the but and by counter steer, you mean what? Yeah, like by counter steer, I mean I don't know into right where your tail end is where, going. Yeah, do you want to turn? You want to the opposite of where you were. Yeah, you want to you want to get the car pointed towards where you want to go. Yeah, but if um, your right rear is sliding out, you want to turn to the right. Correct. Yes, it's just like have you ever seen the movie Cars? Yeah, pay, yeah. turn left to go right or right whatever you said. <laughs> turn left because of right. the fastest. We left. swear we get it. We swear we know. And the it's also notable that there's. Different types of oversteer, pretty much understeer is kind of all the same. Oversteer, like a natural tendency, keeping the throttle steady, going in a corner like an old 911 turbo, your rear end starts to come around almost right away. Throttle on oversteer, you can pretty much do with most any rear-wheel drive car that has any power. You go in halfway through the corner, just dump a bunch of throttle on it, it's going to come out. That's throttle on oversteer. Would you rather be in an understeer situation or an oversteer situation? Uh, depends. Where am I at right now? Um, <laughs> oversteer looks cooler. I don't know. I'm, let's say uh, you know the the turn is coming right up. You're you're uh, you're not quite at the apex yet. You're I don't know twenty yards out, and you're starting to you're starting to understeer and or oversteer. Which one would you rather be in? Yeah, I mean, under for me anyway, understeer is always easier to deal with, but. Obviously, uh, you know, if you have really good car control, then you would want some oversteer uh, just so you could have more fun, right? Which one have you almost crapped your pants in more? Uh, definitely oversteer mm. situations. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the answer right there. I think over, understeer is, while it's, it can be dangerous, it's less dangerous than oversteer. But it's easy. But some. But you want to induce oversteer sometimes, yeah. whereas you pretty much never want to induce understeer. Yeah, and understeer is definitely safer. That's why almost every car that you buy has understeer pretty much tuned into it. Somebody once said. Somebody once said understeer is when your front end hits the wall. Oversteer is when your back end swings around and hits the wall. Yep. So exactly. that's how I remember it. Well so. said, Joe. <laughs> Anyone have a uh, rant or rave today? Joe, go uh, for it, man. You lifted your hand right yeah, to your right. face. All right, fine. So my wife made me watch This Is Us, and there's an episode where the family buys a Jeep Wagoneer. And I'll preface this by saying I like the Wagoneer, but I'm sick of seeing it on TV. Every 80s show thinks they're so original because, oh, this family has a grand Wagoneer. Those were expensive cars. Like, they were twenty some thousand dollars in the 80s and this whole idea that every family owned a grand wagoneer back in 1985 just is not 
correct. <laughs> and everybody thinks every TV commercial, every Levi's jeans ad, every everything, like, we're so original. We're going to show a hipster in a Grand Wagoneer with a golden retriever. Like, <laughs> so they, I'm even... overdosed. I've had, I've had <laughs> too much so Grand Joe, Wagoneer. I, he's Joe, right. He is right. <laughs> Joe, who wants everything AMC in the world, is frustrated by a Wagoneer being No, I, I'm just saying, it's not, first, if you're going for historical accuracy in, accuracy in a show, it's not true, because the demographic research shows the same people who bought Grand Wagoneers were people who bought Mercedeses and BMWs. So, like, not every family could afford one. So what is the, so what should be the car yeah. then? I don't know. Be like every other 80s family and own, like, a Cutlass or something. Like, you know. And what, more importantly, what other primetime shows strive for accuracy? I mean, I, I'm just saying there's the 80s are a big thing right now on television. It there's is lots TV, of 80s Joe. Stuff. It is TV. I'm just I'm overdosed on Wagoneers. If you want to be cool and vintage, get like a you know a Blazer or a Travelall or a Scout or something. I'm I've had enough of Grand Wagoneers. Wow. That's my rant. Don't turn, uh, don't tune into uh, this fall's uh, golf segments where we do all the. Uh, uh, well, I won't say anything. Yeah. Right. Don't give anything away. Yeah. <laughs> it has to do with the Wagoneer. <laughs> I don't hate it. I'm just sick of seeing it. I need a break. Just absence, make sure you don't walk by Scribs in the parking lot. Absence makes the heart grow rash. fonder. All right. All right. I guess uh, we'll end it on that high note. <laughs> and uh, thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, and podcast creator, Bob Mixter, as well as producer, Joe Lago. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to uh, catch us on all the usual places, internets, TVs, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and AutoTempest.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.